The Gospel of John, chapter 3, 1 through 21. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you're doing if God, if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 4. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Verse 9. How can this be, Nicodemus asked? You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you don't understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you be able to believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses has lift, lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may see plainly and what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Let's pray. Lord, we honor you today through worship, through commemorating that meal that you established for us, and now by relinquishing control of our lives and by submitting to your word, we pray that the Holy Spirit, which we are sure is living and active, invisible yet real, would lead and speak and guide us. So Lord, we're listening. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. My question in today's sermon is this. If Jesus were giving a sermon today at the Fayetteville Christian Church on February 2nd, 2020, what would he say? What would Jesus preach about if he had the pulpit? Would he discuss national topics like the impeachment? Would he discuss international topics like the coronavirus? Would he allude to the Super Bowl tonight? Or would he talk about things that we rarely discuss? Persecution of the church globally, the plight of human trafficking. What if Jesus were in charge? 
What would Jesus' demeanor be towards us if he were preaching? Would he be loving and kind? Would he be angry and terse? Would he look into each person? Or would he just speak in generalities? Uh, Even more, what would be our demeanor towards him? Would we sit back? I always wonder what he would look like. I like his hair. I wish he would trim his beard. Would Would we be so cavalier if Jesus were preaching to text our friends, to get up and get a drink of water? If Jesus were preaching, what would be our demeanor? Now, I'm not trying to pretend that I'm Jesus today. I just think that's a good question to ask. Because don't we as a church want to focus on the grand things of God? God's will and what God is doing in our life. Don't we want to turn this service and turn this sermon time over to God as if God were speaking to us? What would Jesus preach about? Well, thankfully, we don't have to go very far to find the answer to that question because the Bible gives us a record of some of Jesus' sermons. So we can examine the Bible and see how it is that Jesus preached and how Jesus interacted with people. So for the next several weeks, I want to use the material of Jesus' own sermons for my sermon. I want to treat this time as if Jesus had the opportunity to preach to me and to preach to you and try to turn the pulpit over to him. And so I don't want to get lost in the minor themes of our lives, but instead the major themes that Jesus gave. And so today I'm going to start with one of the most popular chapters in the entire Bible. John chapter 3. And it's so popular, really, in my opinion, because in John chapter 3, we have one of the most popular verses in our Christian faith. John 3, 16. Many people have memorized this passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's from this verse, from this passage, that many people have come to believe that Christianity is about believing in God. And that's what separates the Christian from the non-Christian, is that they believe in Jesus. But for the life of me, and I'm being completely honest... I'm not sure I know what it means to believe in Jesus. Don't be critical. But what do you do when you believe in Jesus? Is it like believing in gravity? Listen, if whether you believe in gravity or not, gravity exists. You don't have to believe in gravity for gravity to be real. What is it to believe in Jesus? I'm a trained theologian. I've read books 
that seek to try to make simple, complex issues. I'm trained to try to explain to you what atonement is. How is it that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross 2,000 years ago can somehow cover or atone for my sins? How do I make that complex issue of atonement become easily understood? Or the Trinity, there are three gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, three distinct individual beings who are all God, and yet they're all one God. And I feel like I'm doing okay trying to navigate those strange doctrines of atonement and Trinity. But if you ask me what it is to believe in Jesus, I struggle. The Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe and they shudder or they tremble. So this belief in Jesus has got to somehow be different than what the demons, who, who certainly are not going to heaven, right? It's got to be something, that the, something different than the demons have because they believe and they tremble. Belief in Jesus has got to be something so big, so deep, that it changes you. It's got to be something so big, so profound, that your belief in Jesus changes your very nature, who you are. And so it's not casual because I've met people who casually believed in Jesus. They say, well, I mean, I don't have any doubts that there was a historical person named Jesus and that he was crucified and that a segment of people believed that he rose from the grave and that sounds just as good to me as anything else. Is that enough belief? It's not enough belief if it doesn't change you. So, I can't explain this idea of born again like I want to. So, I'm going to try to describe it the way Jesus described it. Because here's what I want you to do at the end of this sermon. If you are not born again, today I want you to be born again. I'm just putting that out there. That's because that's what Jesus commanded. If Jesus were preaching, Jesus would tell you, like he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now listen, when Jesus says that, now I would take that seriously. There are all kinds of things that churches say you should do, you must do, and you could say, well, that's the church's opinion, and I'll go to a different church if I don't like their opinion. But when Jesus steps away and says, you must do this, then to me, that, that wins it all. You must do it. I recognize that there are many people in the pews today who are born again. So from the sermon, I want you to remember that new birth and what life should be like when you're born again. And we'll get there. 
But that's the goal of today's message. What is born again? Billy Graham wrote a book, Born Again. It was popular years ago, maybe in the 70s, for people to say, I'm a born again believer. It's not common sense or Nicodemus would not have asked the questions that he asked. Did you hear Nicodemus say, well, how, how, are you, how can you be born again? Maybe we're in kind of like a post-Christian culture and we've heard the term born again so much that we don't really stop and pause and consider that you really can't be born again, right? You really can't be born again in the fleshly sense. What is born again? At the outset, let me say this. Nobody chose to be born the first time, right? We had no decision in that process. We are alive today because we were born at somebody else's decision. Now, what do you do with that information? You had no choice in your first birth. You know that? You had no choice. What does it mean to be born again? You have no choice either. Listen carefully. God loved us so much that he took the initiative to make a way so that we could become his children, despite our sinfulness, despite our rebellion, despite our, our sheer fleshly humanity. God took the initiative in the person of his son who died on the cross to forgive our sins, to make a way so that now we can be born again by God's choice, not by ours. And just like our first birth we didn't choose, our rebirth, our born again, we don't choose either. God chose us. So as I'm asking you to be born again, I'm asking you to do something kind of strange. To recognize that God chose you to be born again. God chose you. Now, well, what's my part? I mean, what do, do I get to make it, have any decision in that? Of course, you can choose to reject it. And so you're born again by the grace of God. But there's going to come a day when you stand before judgment that you're going to tell God, I reject you. I've rejected you and I reject you. You can choose to reject or you can choose to accept. But that doesn't change the reality that every single human here was planned for by God. Every single person here was planned for by God. We're just all in different stages of understanding that to be. Now, there are those who reject God outright, but there are those who, like a newborn child, don't really know that God has appointed them and loved them, and they're just coming to their own. They're, they're on a baby milk, so to speak. They're just trying to figure out what reality is, and they're, you know, just like a newborn. 
Newborn doesn't really have perception about mom and dad. But later they learn mom, dad, they start to say the words. And then as they get older, they become more and more independent. They still recognize their parents. And then they go through a stage where they think their parents are idiots. And then they come back to recognizing how smart the parents are. But it's a developmental process. And so when God tells Nicodemus to be born again, he's saying, you've got to recognize what, what God has done for you. And you've got to embrace it. You've got to believe in God so much so that it changes your very nature. There's a young man, we'll call him Philip. Philip's parents did not want him. So they gave Philip to their own parents. Philip's raised by his grandmother who divorced. Philip's black. His grandmother is white. His grandmother had other children the same age as Philip, all white kids. Philip's grown up in a town of all white people. In his graduating class, he might be one of five black kids in his graduating class, raised by his grandmother, who loves her, her kids. Philip is all alone, no father figure, no mother figure, in a community all alone, living in a trailer with six people. And I asked myself as youth minister, what can I do for Philip? How can I reverse the systemic poverty and this culture and the fact that he has no formative parents in his life what can I possibly do as a youth minister my little Sunday school lessons aren't going to cut it but we're reminded by this truth that Philip is planned by God loved by God gifted by God with a future designated as good by God you see, the, the solution to the plight in our life is not better counseling, better drugs. It is God. That's the solution. But you must be born again. And only God can change, only God can change what we mess up. What does it mean to believe in Jesus it means to believe in Jesus to the extent that it changes things. You come to realize that Jesus is the reason for my existence. I'm not in charge. When's the last time you realized that you weren't in charge? Maybe you haven't, but I've heard people that said the first day at basic training when they laid on their cot and all the soldiers in the whatever it's called were crying, the young man said, I knew right then and there, what did I get myself into? I'm not even in charge of myself. Basic training. I've heard young spouses 
say, yeah, I used to go to the bar and have a drink with my friends, and then I got married, and I realized that I'm not in charge anymore. When's the last time you realized you're not in charge? In the hospital? In jail? We Christians realize that all the time. I'm not in charge. God is in charge. And that's a good thing. Because left to my own vices, I'm only going to mess things up. But praise be to God that I can be born again. Because God chose me. You believe in Jesus to the extent that you even realize that you're not in charge of yourself. That's what born again is. It means you start over. You accept what God has done. But I like Nicodemus. The guy is a religious teacher. I like the name Nicodemus. He knows the Old Testament. He probably comes from Jerusalem, where there's the temple. I envy Nicodemus. Wouldn't it be cool to do church in the real temple? The real deal. With priests and burnt offerings and incense, and singers. The temple that David built. Man, if you can't accept God going to the temple, you're really messed up. You ever been to a grand cathedral? And you're like, wow, this is really what men have made. This is incredible. And it's just daunting how incredible it is. Imagine being at the temple. Like, yeah, this is the candlestick holder that King David made. I, I envy Nicodemus. And we don't know much about him, but in my mind's eye, he's a pretty good guy. He comes to Jesus, right, doesn't he? He comes to Jesus, he said, we know that you're from God. He's speaking for other people. He's got influence. And you know what Jesus says? He says, you've got to be born again. In other words, all this other stuff, the Old Testament, the temple, the sacrifices, the traditions, the Jews were no sloughs. They, they cared for widows. All that stuff, it doesn't count for anything. You must be born again. Jesus commanded it. We can do the same thing in the church. We can make the church to be like the temple. Beautiful, powerful, inspiring, choirs, music, candles. We can do good things as a church. Care for the widows and the poor and outreach. We could do all kinds of stuff. And it's almost like if you're a good church member, then you're in. Just be a good church member, you're in. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, you must 
be born again. I'm tempted as the preacher to make things as easy and simple as possible. The fewer hoops people have to jump through, the easier it is they're going to they're going to make a decision. Just try to make it so easy. We live in a culture of ease, don't we? I picked up a donut at Starbucks this morning. I ordered it when I got in my car. I showed up at Starbucks, parked right at the window, walked right out. It's in my little bag. I go get it, go back in my car. It was about a minute and a half stop. Great tasting donut. I made it to church feeling really good. Man, it was easy. I just make church to be as easy as possible. That's not what Jesus said. He told Nicodemus, and he tells you and I, that you must be born again. Because it starts on the inside. A rebirth. I'm troubled by one of the pictures we have of Judgment Day. You know, we all die. We're judged by God. It looks like there's some people on Judgment Day that are surprised that they don't make it in. They're surprised. And they're surprised because Jesus says to them, I never, what do you say? I never knew you. So here's what I'm thinking. There were these people who were doing all kinds of good things. I'm speculating here, of course. They're doing all kinds of good things, but they miss out on the most important, necessary, essential thing, and that is a knowledge of God. And they don't make it in. They don't make it in because Jesus said, I never knew you. There was no relationship there. They might have had a form of righteousness. They did everything right. They were good church members, but they had no relationship. So, you know what new baptism, or, or I mean uh, new birth is? New birth is having Christ come into our life so that we are known and we know God. We believe in God to the extent that it changes everything. And that's not convenient at all. It means standing before people and acknowledging God as your Lord and Savior. It means being baptized in front of people who are watching. It means living your life in such a way that you believe that God is real when everybody else doesn't believe because God is invisible. The last thing that I want to say about being born again, according to what Jesus is saying, Jesus compares it to the wind, doesn't he? Just like the winds, you see its effects, verse 8, you hear its sound, but just because it's invisible doesn't mean you don't believe it to be real. Being born again is not a physical thing, it is a spiritual thing. Now, that's not to say that there aren't physical elements. 
But we can get so caught up on the physical elements that we actually diminish the spiritual nature of being born again. I have baptized people who wanted to be baptized because they wanted to please their parents. Who wanted to be baptized because they thought it was the right thing to do, but they weren't sure they even believed in God. Who wanted to be baptized because they get a discount in being married at the particular church. Who want to be baptized because they made a promise to a loved one who since passed away. None of those things are spiritual decisions. Those are all physical decisions. Rebirth is a spiritual decision. What it means is we are asking God to take control of our lives, and that can't be falsified. I can go up and dunk you right now, no matter what you believe or not, and you could have the same experience dunked by the preacher in the baptistry and come out, and you're not changed at all. But when it's a work of God, it can't be falsified. Because rebirth is an invisible thing. Invisible, but yet real. In a sense, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is believing that God is real even when God is invisible. Let me say that again because I think that's important. Christianity is believing in the reality of God even when God is invisible. One of the most inspiring things that I get to do each week is we have a prayer group that meets on Wednesday. I love to listen to the prayers of the people that come to that prayer group. Because when I hear their prayers, it strengthens my faith because they're praying to God so confident, even though we don't see God, no cloud comes in the prayer room, I don't get goosebumps most of the time, but we just acknowledge that even though we don't see or feel God, that God is real and he responds. And so some of the people in our prayer group, they pray and they say, God, I know you already have this worked out. And I'm praying to you because I'm turning this over to you. Not that I question whether you're functioning, but because you, I'm sharing this with you as my loving father and as your child. It's so encouraging to me to see people who, even though God is invisible, believe that God is real. So, you've got to be born again. No matter who you are, you could be Nicodemus, serving at the temple, doing everything right traditionally, but if you are not born again, then you're disobeying a command of Jesus Christ. And the same thing is true today, brothers and sisters. If you come here and you're not born again, I just got to believe that the hand of God is heavy on you. Born again means accepting the fact that God 
has birthed you through the death of Jesus Christ. Believing Jesus to the extent that it changes everything about you. And so you're willing to live according to faith in an invisible God more than you are according to your own mind and your own flesh. It involves repenting of your sins, turning from those sins, and it involves being baptized. Some of you have been born again. I recognize that. I want you just briefly to think about what life would be like if you really did think the invisible God that we worship is real. What would you do with your money? What would you do with your time? What would you do with your talents? If you really did think that God, who is invisible, is really involved in these aspects of your life, what would you do? How would you live? I'm just so upset by the Christians that I see who resemble non-believers with how they spend their money, with what they do with their time, with their attitude and their disposition. I see no difference between somebody who is born anew, born again, and somebody who is still fleshly. There should be a difference there, especially as we grow and we mature. I'm not asking you to get baptized again. I'm asking you to go back to the basics and remember what it was like to give your life away and to become a new creature in God. Go back to that. So my prayer is when you leave today, whether you get baptized today or whether you remember your baptism, your salvation, my prayer is that you will leave this place new because of what God is doing. A recognition that I'm new because of God. I'm just going to accept what God's already done. I'm tired of fighting it. Tired. God's done something special. Praise be to God. I'm not going to be the same person anymore. I'm going to be the person that believes the invisible God is real. And I'm going to follow God the best that I can. It's my challenge for you today. Let's pray.